0: Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. So in today's podcast I am going to share with you an insight into my client-only Q&As which are uploaded to my client-only Facebook group and basically it's an opportunity for any of my team to ask any questions they have. A lot of the clients that I work with, they're all very different. I have a lot of personal trainers, a lot of coaches that I work one-to-one with and so some of the questions are mentorship style questions, questions on their own clients and individual case studies and then I also have clients in the general population who are just wanting to improve their health, improve their quality of life, achieve their body composition or performance-related goals whilst keeping their health intact. And so the questions are quite mixed, but this podcast will be brilliant for you, whether you are a personal trainer, whether you're a coach, whether you're someone on your own fitness journey, it will help you, it will provide you insight, and you'll learn a lot through listening to this, as well as it giving you a bit of an insight into what my client-only Q&As look like and some of the exclusive content to which only my clients have access to give you a bit of an insight into what it looks like to be a part of my team beyond the one to one coaching service because there's so much that's a part of it so hopefully any of you who are listening to this who are interested in working one to one with me will benefit from this get a little bit of an insight but also even if you're not interested in working together it will be an incredibly informative podcast for you to listen to. So give it a listen. Let me know if you have any questions off the back of it. And if you are interested in working one-to-one with me, I currently have two spaces available for one-to-one clients. So if you are interested, please just drop me a direct message on Instagram. I promise I don't buy and I don't push anyone into anything. If you drop me a message, it will just be a nice casual conversation where you can ask me any questions that you have and I will give you essentially all of the information you need on how coaching works for me and you can go away and make an informed decision on whether you want to get started And I will also provide anyone who's interested in working with me the opportunity to book in for a consultation call completely free of charge. And what that looks like is a Zoom call where we'll just have a back and forth conversation about you, your goals, where you're at at the moment, what you're wanting to achieve, how we would go about that. And you can ask me any questions that you have. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Please don't hesitate to reach out if you're interested in working with me if you have any questions off the back of it and I hope you're all having a fantastic week so far whenever you listen to this. So the first question is how do you usually set expectations for clients who want to achieve progress with fat loss without setting a specific scale weight target over a certain period of time? So without saying I want you to lose 10 kilograms in six months or whatever it is. So my question here would be, do you need to set an expectation of how much progress the client should see in a specific period of time? I would question the need to, and I would question whether there's a benefit to doing so, because there are so many things that can influence a client's rate of loss that are completely unpredictable that are out of your control that are out of the client's control and so sometimes setting expectations on the rate of loss can set a client up to feel like a failure there's quite a high likelihood that it's going to set the client up to feel like a failure because if you set an expectation of how much body fat or how much scale weight they're going to use in a given period of time and they don't achieve that it's going to be very hard to fight that feeling of feeling like failure. You're basically setting them up to feel that way. So rather than setting a time frame and a specific target in that time frame, I would maybe approach the client by saying, "Look, we are going to achieve as much progress as physically possible whilst keeping your health intact in this period of time. I can't guarantee what that is going to look like specifically." because there are so many factors that are out of our control however I will assure you that I will make sure you achieve as much progress possible whilst keeping your health intact and setting you up for long-term success as long as you put the work in consistently and as long as you work with me because anything could happen during this period of time they could get ill they could get injured they could have a tragic life circumstance which gets in the way of them achieving their goals. Um, and you don't want a client to feel like a failure if they have something dramatic happen in their life. Say they go through a loss, and then you've put this expectation forward that they're going to lose X amount in this given time frame. And then that just adds more stress when they're going through this huge tragedy already. You don't want to make a client feel worse in that kind of circumstance. And you don't want to make a client feel like a failure in any circumstance and remind them that it's all about doing what they can, given circ- their circumstances to move the needle forward towards their goals. And as long as they're given 100 percent, that's what matters. Yes, there will be hard work involved, but sometimes all the life circumstances get in the way and that's absolutely OK. Um. So I would, like I said, question the need to set an expectation. And I would get the client to focus on celebrating the small wins throughout the process every single week. They might not be all body composition related. They could be training performance related. It could be that they feel better, their energy levels are improving, their sleep's improving, their digestion's improving. Try and get the client to focus on, the weekly improvements on how they feel perform and function and if they do that their body composition will fall into place they will achieve the desired outcome if they adhere to the targets you're setting them and if they focus on improving how they feel perform and function in their overall health and if you get them to focus on the process and enjoy the process of bettering themselves that is how they're going to achieve long-term success because often when people get fixated on this certain amount of scale weight loss or this certain end product from a body composition perspective they have this mindset of okay i'm going to feel happy when i achieve this and what happens is they then prevent themselves from feeling happy until they've achieved that thing And then eventually when they do achieve this thing and it doesn't produce the happiness that they thought it would give them, it can feel very anticlimactic and can be quite harmful in some circumstances because with this anticlimax comes with an increased likelihood of overeating. For comfort um, and engaging in quite damaging behaviors. So, actually, if we focus on the process and being the best versions of ourselves every day, every week, given our circumstances, that is how someone is going to achieve long term success. You don't need to put a scale weight end goal on a timeline, you don't need to put a certain, you know, physique based goal end product on a timeframe, I would get the client and yourself, if you're listening to this, to focus on feeling, performing and functioning as your best self every day and every week and doing the best that you can given your circumstances. And if you do that and you celebrate the wins throughout the process, it will be a much more enjoyable process and you'll be more likely to achieve long-term success. So that is how I would approach it. The next question was, when programming the glute drive or hip thrust, when would you use a full range of motion? So by this, what they mean is um, touching the floor with the plates at the bottom of each wrap, as opposed to t- keeping tension in the glutes, such as in a cast glute bridge. This person says, I always do partial range of motion for hip thrusts and I keep tension on the glutes, but I do see a lot of people doing hip thrust with full range of motion and setting the bar down on the floor between each rep. So the main place where you might do a full range of motion hip thrust where the they set the bar down between each rep is when you're training for strength, because that is going to enable you to use more load most likely because you're touching the bar down each rep rather than maintaining tension on the glutes maintaining tension on the glutes is a greater challenge to the glutes it's harder to use more load so if you're training for pure strength you might use the full range of motion hip thrust where you're actually touching the bar down between each rep whereas i mean there is a time and a place for both and I would argue that it's best to go with the method that you enjoy the most and that you get the best connection with. Um, But I would veer on the side of saying that if you're training for hypertrophy and you really want to grow your glutes, it's going to be a better option to keep constant tension and really focus on the mind-muscle connection and staying within your glutes active range of motion so that the challenge is on the glutes and if you're training for strength it's going to be more appropriate to touch the bar down between each rep you're going to be able to use more load that way and it's more possible to train for sort of strength and a maximal force production so yeah training for strength and power is where we would touch the bar down between each rep rather than maintaining constant tension whereas if you're training for hypertrophy i would veer on the side of constant tension the other argument i would say is if someone really enjoys touching the bar down between each rep they enjoy doing full range of motion hip thrust as opposed to maintaining constant tension they absolutely hate maintaining constant tension then They're probably going to get better results over the long term, touching the bar down between each rep, because they'll probably end up skipping the exercise if they absolutely hate it. So enjoyment is something that we should take into account. And it is something which is often overlooked. So, like I said, if, you know, if someone's going to skip the exercise because they absolutely hate it, doing constant tension, then i would fear on the side of doing a full range of motion hip thrust potentially um the other thing to consider is what setup someone's got available to them because that is going to influence what someone's going to be able to do for example you can't even do you know you can't set the bar down between each rep using a glute drive so you would use the constant tension method with a glute drive and would set another hip thrust machines whereas if you've got a barbell you might set it down between each rep um so that is something that i would consider as well another thing to consider is the bench height if you've got a bench that's a bit too high then I definitely would go through for the constant tension option because if you were to touch the bar down between each rep and you have a bench that's a bit too high the injury risk is going to be higher so that is something that I would take into account as well because you're going further outside of your active range of motion um and so yeah that is something to consider The next question was, do you feel refreshed after your amazing adventure? And this client is referring to when I went to Canada for two weeks. I absolutely did feel, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was very tired and very jet-lagged for the first few days. And it was a hectic trip. Like we were nonstop. We were hiking, we were walking, we were biking. It wasn't a sit by the beach and chill holiday but I did feel psychologically mostly refreshed I'm not gonna lie it was very hard to fully switch off from work and did I fully switch off from work the entire time no there was definitely times where work was on my mind due to numerous different reasons and there were little bits of things that I did still do um however I switched off more than I ever have done before really proud of myself for that and I It did do me the absolute world of good and it was so needed. So I'm so glad I went to Canada. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to go. And if any of you listening to this get the opportunity to go to Canada, please take it because it is the most incredible place. And if anyone wants any recommendations, hit me up. If you've listened to the last podcast, you'll know where I went. So if anyone has any, if anyone's going to those locations and wants some recommendations, please just drop me a message. The next question was, I have a client who really struggles with the two weeks before her period and she doesn't want to do anything. So she refuses to do anything in the way of training and making an effort with nutrition, but she is also unhappy with her progress. Now, the first thing I would say in this kind of situation is if someone is severely struggling with PMS in the run up to their period, I would get them to go and see their doctor just to check for things like PMDD because sometimes medication can be helpful when someone has PMDD and there are extra things that an individual would consider if they had a condition like that or polycystic ovaries or endometriosis, which can also contribute to PMS symptoms being more severe than the average person. So if someone's really, really struggling, every single month get them to go to their doctor get them to get all of the checks done and just make sure there's no underlying cause of that because if there is it needs to be addressed and it needs to be accounted for don't just take it as you know they're fine make sure that they go and get checked out first and foremost Now, once someone's had those checks done, they know there's no underlying cause. Obviously, if there is an underlying cause, you would address that and you would account for that. If they have policies to go for for example, there's certain protocols that you might implement to help them manage that condition. But if they haven't got any of those conditions, there's no underlying cause. The first thing I would do is get the client on a call and have a conversation with them and talk it through with them so you might have to under these circumstances give a client a little bit of tough love and explain that they are going to have to show up for themselves if they wish to see progress there's no two ways about that if they don't put in the work they're not going to see the progress that they desire and so if they're not willing to put in the work they need to accept that they're not going to see that progress if they want to see the progress they have to put in the work And if they're not willing to accept that, then they're probably not the right person to be working with a coach because working with a client who's not willing to do the work or is not willing to accept a slower rate of progress when they're not willing to do the work is only going to make for a very unpleasant coaching process for the both of you. And it is going to be very draining as a coach to work with somebody like that who is not willing to take ownership of their actions it's different if somebody is saying look i'm really struggling at the time of the month i feel like i can't train and i'm really struggling with nutrition so i need a bit more food but i'm willing to say their goal is fat loss right but they say i'm willing to accept a slower rate of progress with fat loss Um, given that I can't train at that time of the month and given that I need some extra food, that's okay. I'll do what I can the rest of the month. That's a very different scenario. But if somebody is completely unwilling to accept that and they want to see progress, regardless of not being willing to put in the work, that is going to be very difficult to work with. So you're going to have to give them a little bit of tough love and explain that the, peer, the client is going to have to show up for themselves if they wish to see progress. If she doesn't, or he doesn't, then they have to accept that progress is going to be slower when they're not putting the work in. There are certain tools we can implement to help people who do really struggle, women who do really struggle with PMS, who really struggle with pain or bloating, or fatigue, lack of sleep. And some examples might be we could run a deload at that time of the month where they do struggle each month. We could give them a little bit of a break from training altogether, or we could decrease training volume and or intensity to take some stress off of their body and help them manage how they feel. So that is something that we could implement. Another thing that we could consider is giving them a bit of an increase in food at the time of the month where they're struggling if they see a significant rise in their appetite and that might help them with adherence um, and help prevent excessive overeating because if they're absolutely ravenous and they try and stick to their usual targets and they're really, really, really struggling with that, their hunger's through the absolute roof but they really, 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 really try and stick to it, it could, if they're really struggling, lead to them overeating if hunger gets significantly bad by quite an extravagant amount. Whereas if we just give them an extra 200 calories, 300 calories a day, then they may be much more likely to adhere to those targets. They will be much more likely to adhere to those targets and it may well prevent that excessive overeating because they've had that little bump in food when they're really struggling with their energy levels and their appetite. So giving them a bit of a bump in calories, another thing we can implement also just encouraging them to engage in a little bit more deep rest, have their self soothe list to hand. So their list of activities or things they can do to soothe themselves that aren't that don't involve food Uh, things like going for a walk outside cuddling the dog reading a book whatever the client enjoys whatever fills their cup make sure they're utilizing those things those techniques at this time of the month when they know that they're going to struggle and obviously things like painkillers can really help if someone is in extreme pain as well so that's something to consider Tools like journaling and meditation can be incredibly helpful and also just recognizing that the way they feel is temporary and will pass. And it could be that you decide with clients who do struggle at the time of the month. You push a little bit harder through the rest of the month when they feel okay, and then you really ease off the gas during those few days where they do really struggle or that week where they really struggle it's all about working with the individual in front of you as opposed to taking a one-size-fits-all approach and in regards to food I would really make sure that the individual places an emphasis on consuming foods that make themselves feel good and nourishing their bodies but also allowing for foods that nourish them psychologically and that they really enjoy so make sure they're not excluding any foods or food groups because again that's going to increase someone's likelihood of overeating and other things like making sure the client is maintaining a consistent bedtime and wait time will really help support their energy levels as as it will help regulate their circadian rhythm and the way that they feel perform and function so there's some other things that they can do as well The next question was, in what scenario would you program just two sets of an exercise rather than three? So everybody's recovery capabilities are different. There is no one size fits all in terms of how many sets you should do. How many sets per exercise you do will also be influenced by the number of exercises per session. So. If someone has, say someone has four or five exercises per session, they may be able to tolerate more sets per exercise in comparison to someone who's doing eight exercises in a session. But the total volume per session is going to be very similar. It's just a different approach to how that volume is distributed. In option two, you've got more exercises, less sets per exercise in option 1 you've got less exercises but more sets per exercise so that's an example of how something can differ and the option might you might choose will partially depend on the individual's training age and also their preferences so with a client who's very new to training i wouldn't include too many exercises in the session because they're just learning how to master these movements. So doing a lot of reps, a lot of sets of the same movements is going to help them master those movements quicker. Whereas if you have someone who's new training and you chuck eight to 10 exercises per session at them, their brain is just going to be completely scrambled. It's going to be very hard for them to master the skill element of those exercises because they've got so many goddamn exercises to master. So someone's training age is something that will influence influence that. Someone who's newer to training, I would choose the option of having more sets per exercise and less exercises because then they're going to be able to get really good at those movements, really confident with those movements and it's going to be much easier for them to wrap their head around and they're going to progress much more quickly. On top of that, someone who's new to training probably isn't capable of training to value yet. So they can handle more training volume than somebody who is more advanced. Someone who's more advanced and loves to train to value and almost bury themselves every session. They're going to be able to do less sets per exercise because their training intensity is high. So training intensity is also something that will influence how much volume somebody is able to perform. On top of that, the amount of stress that someone has in the other aspects of their life such as work their personal life is going to affect their recovery capabilities so through high stress periods someone might be able to tolerate less training volume you might have to reduce sets per exercise whereas once someone has a relatively stress free life and you know maybe they're going through a phase where they're off work or they're away from education they're on a gap year they're chilling, they're exploring, they're sleeping well, they're eating, they're training, whatever time they want, they're probably going to be able to handle more training volume. So everybody's different. And you can also go beyond three sets per exercise. So you don't have to stop at three either. But there is really, no one size fits all. The next question is, how do you approach clients who miss their check-ins regularly because of being busy? I understand that adherence can usually play a part in this too but is there anything you would suggest other than just asking them is there any particular reason why they aren't? So this can be quite a difficult one and the first thing I want to say is that we all have these clients from time to time who don't communicate as frequently or maybe aren't as good at checking in and Sometimes it can just be because they've got a lot going on in their lives and they're cracking on with their programming outside of their check-ins, but they just don't see the importance in the actual check-in with you as much. They're just sort of the type of person who likes to crack on with their own thing. And in that circumstance, it might be worth having a conversation with the client, getting them on a call and just saying, look, I know you're really busy um however the check-in process is really important i'd love to touch base with you would you appreciate it if i make your check-in form shorter or if i make the check-in form the check-in process easier so it's less time consuming just so we can touch base or would you prefer a call for 15 minutes rather than actually filling in a check-in form you could maybe tailor the coaching process to suit them as an individual a little bit more potentially but it's a conversation you need to have with the client so you can know whether that's suitable for them i i personally if a client doesn't check in i will chase them up initially for the first couple of weeks but beyond that i think it's up to you whether you want to chase them up or not because ultimately it does become quite time consuming to be chasing people up all the time and if you're having to do it every single week 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 in and week out, then there needs to be a conversation had of look if you can't do this, then it might be best for us to just put the coaching process on hold for the time being and for you to come back when you're ready and you're able to commit to checking in with me so that I can coach you to the best of my ability. The other option is, you know, you start checking in and we can work together now and make sure you achieve your goals. But, you know, offer for the coaching process, for the check-in process to be tailored to the individual, whether it's changing from them doing a written check-in form to sending you a voice note, or vice versa, whether it's changing to a 15-minute call rather than a check-in form or a voice note. There's really no one size fits all, but have a think about these different options. Make sure that you do communicate with the client. You do chase them up initially, but then beyond that, ultimately, it is their responsibility to check in with you and make sure that's part of your terms and conditions that the client does check in. They do show up, they do communicate, because unless they do, you're not going to be able to coach them to the best of your ability. And. What I would do as well, if you're not getting replies from someone, is just communicate very clearly that you care for them. You want them to achieve success and you can only coach them to the best of your ability if they do check in. Make it clear that you know that they, they might just need some time for themselves, whatever, if they've got something going on. But you're here for them when they are ready to come back. You're here for them when they are ready to communicate. But communication is the most important thing in this kind of circumstance, get them on a call, talk to them, ask them what what they're struggling with, why they're not checking in, what's going on, explain that you're here for them with no judgment and go from there. The next question was, is it beneficial to use tempo on every movement within your training? Or are there cases where you would not focus on tempo so much? So again going back to training age with clients who are very new to training rather than worrying too much about tempo initially I would just focus on making sure they know how to execute a movement rather than the pace at which they're executing a movement I would focus on the movement itself you know making sure that they're lined up properly making sure that if they're on a machine you know their knees are lined up in the right place they know how to adjust the machine if they're doing a complex movement, they know how to actually perform that movement. So with beginners, I wouldn't worry about tempo initially. I would make sure they master the actual movement pattern, how to set the exercise up, how to perform the exercise before you add in tempo. Um, Other than that, when someone is more advanced, I do think that tempo is quite important a lot of the time. That being said there's no one size fits all with the tempo you should perform a particular exercise with there is definitely if someone has physique goals if they want to build muscle tissue or maintain muscle tissue then tempo is important control is important getting a good mind muscle connection is super important however personal preference is also important if you want long-term adherence and long-term success and for someone's quality of life to be kept intact so you know if someone there might be someone who prefers doing more compounds for strength right and that will involve a very different exercise tempo for somebody who's doing really slow eccentrics you know traditional hypertrophy training but if they really enjoy that strength training which requires a very different tempo and they're going to be more consistent with that they're going to train harder then there's a time and a place for including that so there's no sort of like one size fits all tempo you should use there's pros and cons to different tempos and I would utilize a range of different tempos throughout a session with a lot of clients um but it is something that I would consider beyond someone being a a beginner who's just learning certain movement patterns for the first time and even then there can be a big time and a place for adding in sort of isometric holds you know slow eccentrics to really get the client to think about control especially when someone has physique goals and wants to prevent injury as well so i think tempo generally if you can program it then program it probably not relevant for a beginner especially because you don't want them to be thinking about a million different things as they're just learning how to do a movement for the first time so if you said to them right i want you to do um this tempo and I want you to focus on keeping your knees in line with your toes and bracing your core and maintaining a neutral spine they're just gonna be like wow like where am I even starting so get them to think about the basics and fundamentals first before you add in tempo um so yes that is this week's q a let me know if you have any questions off the back of this guys if any of you have thought of any questions whilst you've been listening please drop them in the Facebook group in the comments down below or include them in your next check-in and thank you so much for those of you who have asked questions I appreciate it massively I hope you've enjoyed this and I will see you in the next one